Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing through the book of Luke, and we've now come to Luke chapter 4 and verses 14 through 30. Jesus has just triumphed over Satan's temptation, and now his ministry is starting in a very public way. And so Luke tells us how the ministry how Jesus ministered throughout Galilee and then moves to the first scene of this ministry. And it was a scene of the synagogue where Jesus declared himself to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy concerning the Messiah. Then Jesus is rejected by the religious crowd and thrown out of the synagogue. And that's why I've titled this message, The Redeemer Rejected by the Religious. A summary of the Savior's ministry. Now, the reason I call it a summary of the Savior's ministry is because this pattern continues throughout his ministry. You could summarize his ministry with this phrase The Redeemer was rejected by the religious. They rejected him over and over and over. And so, this is not a singular incident in Luke's text today. This is a pattern, a summary. This is the. this just it. This is what Jesus went through. So, that being said, let's jump into our text. Luke chapter 4, verse 13. Verse 14, I'm sorry. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your own country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you truly, many widows were in the Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. The Redeemer rejected by the religious... A summary of the Savior's ministry. Now, what was at the heart of their rejection? Simply this. Jesus did not fit their idea of what the Messiah should be or do or say. In other words, their view of Jesus was not biblical. We, too, 
in our day must be careful that our thoughts and definitions of who Jesus is, what he said, are based on Scripture and not our opinion. We need to have a biblical view of Jesus. That's the problem. There's all these people that claim to worship Jesus today, but the Jesus they claim to worship doesn't exist because they say, well, Jesus would do this, Jesus would do that, or we believe this, we believe that, and much of it contradicts what the man said. And so when somebody says, I believe in Jesus, I say, which one? The one of the Bible or the one of your own imagination that's built on your opinions and not scripture. Now, in order to help you grasp this narrative, we're going to look at it in three sections. Number one, in verses 14 through 15, the Redeemer returns to Galilee. Number two, in verses 16 through 27, the Redeemer relays his message. Number three, in verses 28 through 30, the rejection of of the Redeemer and his message, because to reject him is to reject his message, and to reject his message is to reject him. I like to say it this way. If you reject God's word, you automatically are rejecting the God of the word. Or if you want to make it sound even clearer, if you reject the word of God, you're rejecting the God of the word. If you reject the God of the word, you're rejecting the word of God. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. Now, Verse 14 through 15, the Redeemer returns to Galilee. Now, verses 14 or 15 are an overview of the following several chapters. Luke states that Jesus returns to Galilee and begins to preach. Then, through the next three or four chapters of Luke, we have the specifics of what happened while he ministered in Galilee. So, this is very common in a story, you know, it'll have flashbacks. So, Luke tells us, Jesus went to Galilee and ministered, and then he begins to recount flashbacks of what specifically happened. So you shouldn't understand 14 and 15 as a, as a chronology of something that happened. Then he went to the temple, uh, rather the synagogue, but rather this is an overview, and then he goes into specifics. Now, this poses a question. From where was the Redeemer returning? Well, apparently from Judea, where he'd been baptized in the River Jordan and then tempted in the wilderness between Judea and the Dead Sea. Now, Jesus has returned to Galilee. So he's made his journey northward as Galilee and Judea are two separate regions, Galilee being ruled by Herod Antipas and Archelaus ruling as Tetrarch over Judea. So the Redeemer has returned home, as it were. For though he was born in Bethlehem, Judea, he was raised and reared in Nazareth of Galilee. Luke gives a brief description of the overview of the ministry of Jesus. He notes that Jesus' ministry was marked by power of the Holy Spirit. It says he returned in the power of the Spirit. Everything Jesus did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't rely on gimmicks or human talent or societal connections. His one and only source of power was that of the Spirit. Then he notes the popularity of Jesus' ministry. He writes that news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. While Jesus would eventually be rejected, early on he did receive some reception, at least from the common people, although the religious were never crazy about him. And then thirdly, Luke notes the priority of Jesus' ministry. It says he taught in their synagogues everywhere Jesus went he preached. Were never recorded where Jesus sang. 
We're never recorded where Jesus did outreach workshops. We're never recorded where Jesus set up soup kitchens. The only thing we find in Scripture is Jesus preaching and teaching the Word of God. And so the priority of Jesus' ministry was preaching. And then finally, the place of Jesus' ministry. It said he taught in the synagogues. Now, he knew full well the synagogue, much like churches today to be filled with the religious laws. Whoever trusting in religion found themselves to be lost without a relationship with God through Christ. Now, as I said, these two verses are a summary, and now we move on to verses 16 through 27. After we've noted the Redeemer returns to Galilee, now we see the Redeemer relays his message, and herein lies the meat of the sermon today. He comes to the synagogue, as was his custom, to preach a message. Now, in this day and time, every town had a synagogue. Although there was only one temple that was reserved for sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, Passover, etc., the protocol was wherever there were at least ten Jewish families, there was to be a synagogue built, much like our local church. And Jesus, being a devout Jew, is found in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And let me say this in passing. If corporate worship was a priority for Christ, it ought to be a priority for Christians. It said it was his custom. In other words, he regularly attended the synagogue. Nevertheless, in that day, temple was for sacrifices and the synagogue was for teaching. However, there was no formal teacher as we would have in the New Testament church age. When Jesus established through Paul and through the epistles the formal office of a New Testament pastor, this was prior Calvary, this was pre-church age, and this was during the apostolic age, or if you want to call it the age of Jesus' earthly ministry, and so no such thing existed as of yet during this time. And so synagogues didn't have formal teachers, though they had overseers. So Barclay notes some great insight on the operation of the synagogue, which will help us to set the scene in our minds. He writes, in, synagogue, in the synagogue service, there were three parts. The worship part and prayer was offered. Then the reading of the scripture, seven people from the congregation read. As they read the ancient Hebrew, which was no longer widely understood, it was translated by the Targumist into Aramaic or Greek. In the case of the law, one verse was read at a time. In the case of the prophets, three verses at a time. Then the teaching part of the service. In the synagogue, there was no professional ministry. There was no one person to give their dress. So the president or the attendant, as Luke translates it here, would invite any distinguished person to speak, and then discussion would follow. That is how Jesus got his chance. So as Barclay has told us, Jesus was given a chance to speak as any rabbi or teacher would have been, for we know that up until that point, he was held in high regard and taught in synagogues already at least several times because we know he had already ministered in Capernaum. However, this time was to be different. For it was in this moment that the Redeemer's message would be relayed but then rejected by the religionist of his day. He finally stepped on their toes, as it were. So Jesus handed the book of Isaiah, and he begins to read from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, which is a passage that tells of the message of the Messiah when he comes to Israel. So Jesus reads the passage and applies it to himself, thus unequivocally claiming to be the Messiah. How so? Well, he finished reading, and he makes this statement, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Then we know the people understood that he was claiming to be the Messiah because they immediately begin to reason, is this not Joseph's son? 
So as I've often said, the Jews expected a political Messiah to come much like Judas Maccabeus, who had come earlier before and defeat the Romans and reestablish the Hebrew monarchy. However, God sent them a spiritual Messiah to save them from their sin. Now their idea of a Messiah certainly could not be a poor boy from Nazareth born to working parents, especially Joseph's son. Where was the sword? Where was the army? None of this was present. Now, because of their false idea of the Messiah, they rejected Jesus. In this, we see the danger of a false notion of Jesus. Many people today have in their mind who Jesus is and what he did or what he should do. And the problem is their idea of Jesus contradicts the biblical portrait of the real Jesus. And so consequently, when confronted with the biblical Jesus, they reject him as the religions did of his day, or they simply walk away from religion completely disillusioned. So, Jesus says, today, this scripture is fulfilled. In other words, I'm he. And the people say, wait a minute, ain't that Joseph's kid? Surely he's not the Messiah, that's Joseph's kid. And so the religious rejected the Redeemer. Let me stop right here and make a point of application. Do you have a biblical view of Jesus? Does the Jesus you believe yourself to worship line up with the historical account of Scripture? Have you been convinced by a counterfeit or converted by the Christ? Let me give you an example. I had a person confront me one time over one of my messages and say something to the effect of, well, I don't think Jesus would do that, to which I responded, Basically, well, actually, Jesus, according to the Bible, did do that. And in fact, he said this. You know what that person's problem was? They had created a Jesus in their mind that doesn't exist. This can happen generally for one of two reasons. First, the person actually doesn't know what Jesus said or did in the Bible because they do not study it for themselves. Or they reject what Jesus said or did in the Bible because it doesn't fit their own desires or their own thoughts, their own opinions. Either way, this person is in danger of rejecting the Redeemer just as the religious crowd in Jesus' day did. These individuals will often be very religious. Oh, they post about God on social media, use profanity on social media the next. They have no use for a biblical church. And so when you try to get them to come to a biblical church, they always say, well, the hypocrites, or well, I don't need church, I can do this. When Jesus himself taught through the writer of Hebrews that forsaking the assembling of yourselves together was a sin. And so clearly, they're worshiping a Jesus that doesn't exist. They have religion, but not a relationship. Religious people who do not have a relationship with Jesus, in my opinion, is the central plague of living in the Bible Belt. They are Christian in name only. They honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from Him. So let us be careful that we allow the Bible to define Jesus and not our own thoughts, feelings, opinions, etc. Now we return to the text. I told you the Redeemer relayed his message, and I just read it to you. He read it, and then he said, hey, it's me. And then he goes on to give some examples of the Lord's work among Gentiles. So return to the text. First thing we were note is that our Redeemer's message that he relayed was prophetic in nature. What do I mean by that? Well, he quoted the prophecy of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And so it was prophetic in nature. Each of those things Jesus read from that prophecy, he did or continues to do today even in the church age. 
in that day, he did preach the gospel to the poor and were to carry the gospel to the poor and everybody else. He did set liberty the captives, those that were captive by sin. He did recover sight to the blind to prove his messiahship, though that was the church age. That's not the age we, or excuse me, that was pre-church age, not the age we live now. The point is this, that the message he relayed was prophetic in nature, but it was also pertinent. What do I mean by that? I meant that it pierced the hearts of the religious. They got angry. They desired a political hero and a show. But rather, he said to them, that's not what I came to do. Now, he said, you'll surely say to me, physician, heal thyself. In other words, he knew what they were going to say. Physician, heal thyself was a common saying in that day that's similar to our saying, the proof is in the pudding. In other words, if you're him, show me. And Jesus said, in other words, I know what you want me to do. You want me to give you some proof. You want me to do the miracles like I did in Capernaum. And that's why Jesus said, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your own country, verse 23. However, Jesus doesn't do miracles on command. He's not here to be a show. He's here to be the Savior. And he certainly wasn't. In fact, you'll, before I say this, let me say this. You go throughout all the scripture. Jesus never did miracles on command. He only did them when he decided to do them, which is one of the reasons why when the devil said, make this stone bread, Jesus refused. And he said, I'm not going to be a show for you either. And they said, well, do what you would do in your own hometown. And Jesus said, the, pro the prophet is without honor in his own country. Then he makes them even more upset by showing and foreshadowing that he came not only to save the Jew, but also the Gentile. And he does that by reminding them that God did minister to Gentiles in the Old Testament. And you know the Jews of this day hated Gentiles because history tells us it was a common proverb among the Jews of Jesus' day that God created Gentiles to provide fuel for hell. That was the common saying. However, Jesus insinuating... Uh, or excuse me, reminding these religious of God's mercy to the Gentiles. And so what he's saying is, I didn't just come for the Gentile, the Jew, but also the Gentile. And Paul echoed the same thing in Romans 1.16 when he said that he came to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Jesus says, remember Naaman? Remember the widow of Zarephath? Both Gentiles and God showed him mercy. And so he made them mad by not putting on a show, but then he made them really mad by telling them that he came to save all people who would repent and believe. Well, that just about did it because that brings us from the relay of the Redeemer's message to the rejection of the Redeemer and his message. So after his message, these people were hot to trot. Look at verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, when they heard these things, when they heard the message the Redeemer relayed, they were filled with wrath and rose up, thrust him out of the city, and then, ladies and gentlemen, they tried to kill him. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down off the cliff. They were so angry at Jesus' preaching that they wanted him dead. 
And ladies and gentlemen, I can attest to that. I've preached some hard messages in my time, not because I enjoy preaching hard messages, but because the God called me to preach. And preachers are to preach the whole counsel of God, thus saith the Lord. And you're going to step on some toes if you preach this Bible. Now, if you preach pop psychology, if you just skip the hard parts of the Bible, you're not going to have any trouble. But if you do what Jesus did and tell the whole truth or tell the whole story, I'm going to tell you right now, if they got mad at Jesus, they're going to get twice as mad at you. And so we see the rejection of the Redeemer in his message after we noted the return of the Redeemer to Galilee. The Redeemer relays his message in the synagogue. Finally, verses 28 through 30, the rejection of the Redeemer in his message. They wanted him dead. They wanted to kill him. But his time had not yet come. And so verse 30 tells us, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So when we consider their rejection, we first note their reason of the rejection. When they heard these things, it was the message that rebuked them. It was the message that stirred their heart in a negative way. I'm going to tell you something. People love preachers when they tell them what they want to hear, but you start plowing the tater patch, you start preaching the whole word of God, you start salting people's grits, that's when you'll find out who's real and who isn't. Because a saved man that's right with God will take the word of God and say, whether it hurts or feel good, it's God's word, and I'm going to apply it to my life and act accordingly. But a carnal man or a backslid man will get angry at the messenger over the message. Let me help you out. If your pastor's preaching the Bible expositorily, verse by verse, through books of the Bible, and something comes up you don't like, you have no business getting mad at the preacher. He didn't write the Bible. I didn't write the Bible. You don't get mad at the mailman when he brings the power bill, so don't get mad at the preacher when he brings the message. So the reason of their rejection was the message, but note the rage of their rejection. Man, they wanted him dead. They wanted him out of there. And I've seen things like that in my life. I've seen pastors preach the truth. And then people go to the deacons, go to the people, say, let's get him out of here. It's time for him to go. All because the man stood up and preached the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a tough road to hoe. But just remember this. They rejected Jesus, and if you preach what Jesus preached, there's going to be some people reject you. That's just the, that's the way the cards fall. And so the reason and the rage. In conclusion, we have seen the Redeemer rejected by the religious, a summary of the Savior's ministry. We've noted as in the, this is the case for many today who are religious but without relationship with the Redeemer. We've noted the Redeemer's return to Galilee. We saw the Redeemer relay his message that it was prophetic and pertinent. And this resulted in the Redeemer's rejection by the religious, their reason and their rage. So by rejecting him, they rejected his message. Considering this narrative, 
we must re-examine ourselves. Are we following the biblical Jesus? Is our ideas of what Jesus is and who he is and what he said and what he did, what he's doing, is it based on our opinions, our traditions, or is it based on what the Bible says? Whether the false notion is due to ignorance or selfishness, the end result is the same. And to believe another Jesus as opposed to the biblical Jesus is to be separated from eternity in hell. Do you have a relationship with the real biblical Redeemer, Jesus Christ? You see, you can be wrong about eschatology. You can even be wrong about creation to an extent. But if you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what else you're right about, as Adrian Rogers said. And so you better base your idea of Jesus off the Bible and not tradition, opinion, or anything else. And pastors, preachers, Sunday school teachers, you better teach the whole Word of God. Dr. Ron Lynch told me one time that the best compliment, the best thing that can be said about a preacher or a teacher of God's Word is that you say what the Bible says. And that's exactly what Jesus did in effect. The Redeemer rejected by the religious, a summary of the Savior's ministry. God bless you. Keep studying the book of Luke.